Alright, so this is chapter 36 of uh, Mortal Engines, and it is called The Shadow of Bones. Hester took the lead, climbing up through the open top of the dome into smoky firelight in the shadow of the great weapon. Off to her right, the charred skeleton of the 13th floor elevator lay draped over the ruins of the Engineerium like a derelict roller coaster. The fire had spread to the Guild Hall, and the planning department and the Hall of Records were blazing, hurling out firefly swarms of sparks and millions of pink and white official forms. St. Paul's was an island in a sea of fire, with the Jenny Hanover swinging above it like a low-budget moon, scorched and listing, veering drunkenly in the updrafts from the burning buildings. She climbed higher, out onto the cobra hood of Medusa. Valentine came after her. She could hear him whispering to Catherine, his eyes fixed on the struggling airship. What idiot is flying that thing? He shouted, working his way across the cowl to join her. It's Tom, Hester called back and stood up waving both arms and shouting, Tom, Tom. It was the shawl that Tom saw first, the one he had bought for her in the Parapetopolis. I'm sure I said that wrong. Knotted around her neck now, streaming on the wind. It made a sudden flash of red, and he saw it from the corner of his eye and looked down and saw her there waving. Then a black wing of smoke came down over her, and he wondered if he had only imagined that tiny figure inching out onto the cobra's hood, because it seemed impossible that anyone could survive in this huge fire that he had caused. He made the Jenny Hanover swoop closer, the smoke lifted, and there she was, flapping her arms with her long black coat and her long-legged stride and her ugly, wonderful face. Catherine opened her eyes. The cold inside her was growing, spreading from the place where the sword had gone in. She was still hiccuping, and she thought how stupid it would be to die with hiccups, how undignified. She wished Dog was with her. Tom! Tom! Somebody kept shouting. She turned her head and saw an airship coming down out of the smoke, closer and closer, until the side of the gondola scraped against Medusa's cowl, and she felt the downdraft from its battered engine pods. Father was carrying her toward it, and she could see Tom peering out at her through the broken windscreen. Tom, who had been there when it had all began, whom she had thought was dead, but here he was alive, looking shocked and soot-stained, with a V-shaped wound on his forehead like the mark of some unknown guild. The gondola was much bigger inside than she expected. In fact, it was a lot like Cleo House, and Dog and Beavis were both waiting for her there, and her hiccups had stopped, and her wound wasn't as bad as everyone had thought. It was just a scratch. Sunlight streamed in through the windows as Tom flew them all up and up into the sky of the most perfect crystal blue, and she relaxed gratefully into her father's arms. Hester reached the airship first, hauling herself aboard through its shattered flank, but when she looked back, holding out her hand to Valentine, she saw that he had fallen to his knees and realized that Catherine was dead. She stayed there still with her hand outstretched, not quite knowing why. There was an electric shimmer in the air above the white metal hood. She shouted, Valentine, be quick! He lifted his eyes from his daughter's face just long enough to say, Hester, Tom, fly! Save yourselves! Behind her, Tom was cupping his hands to his ears and shouting, What did he say? Is that Catherine? What's happened? Just go, she yelled, and clamoring past him started switching all the engines that still worked to full power. 
When she looked down again, Valentine was dwindling away below, a dark shape cradled in his arms, a pale hand trailing. She felt like Catherine's ghost rising into the sky. There was a terrible pain inside her, and her breath came in sobs, and something wet and hot was spilling down her cheek. She wondered if she could have been wounded without noticing it, but when she put her hands to her face, her fingers came out wet, and she understood that she was crying crying for her mum and dad and Shrike and Catherine, and even for Valentine as the crackling light around the cathedral grew brighter and Tom steered the Jenny Hanover away into the dark. Down in the gut, London's enormous motor suddenly cut out, without warning and all at once doused by the strange radiations that were starting to sleet through the city's fabric. For the first time since it crossed the land bridge, the great traction city started to slow. In a hastily barricaded gallery in the London Museum, Chudley Pomeroy peered cautiously over the replica of the blue whale and saw that the squads of stalkers advancing on his last redoubt had all stopped in their tracks. Pale clouds of sparks coiling around their metal skulls like barbed wire. Great quirk, he said, turning to his surviving handful of historians. We've won! Valentine watches the red airship fly away, lit by the flames of top tier and by the spitting forks of light that are beginning to flare around St. Paul's. He can hear hopeless fire bells jangling somewhere below and the panic-stricken shouts of fleeting engineers. A halo of St. Elmo's fire flares around Catherine's face and her hair sparks and cracks as he strokes it. He gently moves a stray strand that is blown into her mouth and holds her close and waits and the stormlight breaks over them, and they are a knot of fire, a rush of blazing gas, and gone, the shadows of their bones scattering into the brilliant sky. All right, this is chapter 37 of Mortal Engines, the final chapter, and it is called The Bird Roads. London wore a wreath of lightning. It was as if the rays, the ray that should have reached out across a hundred miles to sear the stones of Bat Mooncompa had tangled around the upper tiers instead, sending cataracts of molten metal splashing down the city's flanks. Explosions surged through the gut, heaving vast fragments of wreckage end over end into the sky like dead leaves in a gale. A few airships rose with them, seeking to escape, but their envelopes ignited, and they shriveled and fell small bright flakes of fire amid the greater burning. Only the Jenny Hanover survived, riding on the fringes of the storm, spinning and pitching as the shock waves battered her, streamers of rainbow light spilling from her rigging and her rotor blades. Her engines had all failed together in that, in that first great pulse of energy, and nothing that Tom knew how to do would make them start again. He slumped down in what was left of the pilot's seat, weeping, watching helplessly as the night wind carried him farther and farther from his dying city. It's my fault, was all he could think to say. It's all my fault. Hester was watching too, staring back at the place where St. Paul's had been, as if she could still see the afterimages of Catherine and her father lost in the brightness there. Oh, Tom, no, she said. It was an accident. Something went wrong with their machine. It was Valentine's fault and Chrome's. It was the engineer's fault for getting that thing to work and my mum's fault for digging it up in the first place. It was the ancient's fault for inventing it. 
was Pusey's and Gench's fault for trying to kill you and Catherine for saving my life. She sat down beside him, wanting to comfort him, but afraid to touch him while her reflections sneered at her from fractured dials and blades of window glass, more monstrous than ever in the fluttering glare of Medusa. Then she thought, silly, he came back, didn't he? He came back for you. Trembling, she put her arms around him and pulled him close, nuzzling the top of his head, shyly kissing away the blood from the fresh wound between his eyebrows, hugging him tight until the dying weapon had spent itself and the first gray daylight crept across the plain. It's all right, Tom, she kept telling him. It's all right. London was far away, motionless under the banners of smoke. Tom found Miss Fang's old field glasses and focused them on the city. Someone must have survived, he said, hoping that the hoping that saying it would make it true. I bet Mr. Pomeroy and Clyde Potts are down there, organizing rescue parties and handing out cups of tea. But through the smoke, the steam, the pall of the hanging ash, he could see nothing, nothing, nothing. And although he swung the binoculars to and fro, growing increasingly desperate, all they showed him were the bony shapes of blackened girders and the scorched earth littered with torn off wheels and blazing lakes of fuel and broken tracks tangled on themselves like the cast off skins of enormous snakes. Tom? Hester had been trying the controls and had found to her surprise that the rudder levers still worked. The Jenny Hanover responded to her touch, turning this way and that on the wind. She said gently, Tom, we could try to reach Batmunkampa. We'll be welcome there. They'll probably think you're a hero. But Tom shook his head. Behind his eyes, the 13th floor elevator was still spiraling toward top tier, and Pusey and Gensch were riding their black, silent screams into the fire. He didn't know what he was, but he knew he was no hero. All right, said Hester, understanding. It took time to get over things sometimes. She knew that. She would be patient with him. She said... We'll head for the Black Island. We can repair the Jenny at the Air Cam Cam Caravanserai, and then we'll take the Berg Roads and go somewhere far away. The Hundred Islands, or the Tannhauser Mountains, or the Southern Ice Waste. I don't mind where, as long as I can come too. She knelt beside him, resting her arms on his knees, and her head on her arms, and Tom found that he was smiling in spite of himself at her crooked smile. You aren't a hero, and I'm not beautiful, and we probably won't live happily ever after, she said. But we're alive, and together, and we're going to be all right. <laughs>